Today on Hanging with Champions, Dara and I hang out with an Olympian who revolutionized his sport, helping to turn short track speed skating from a sporting curiosity into can't-miss Olympic action. Off the ice, he's been just as trailblazing. With eight medals, including two gold, he's the most decorated winter Olympian in U.S. history. Apollo Ono joins us today. So come on, hang out with us on Hanging with Champions. Welcome back to Hanging with Champions, where we're fortunate to step away from life's challenges and hang out with Olympic stars. A really special show today. We'll be joined by an all-time American Olympic legend, and then a little bit later, a special young guest for a new segment called My Biggest Fan will join us. Well, you can hang out with us, too, all over social media. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you can download all of these podcasts on Google, Spotify, Apple. Frankly, we're everywhere. So I'm Patrick Keenis. Grateful to have my co-host, Dara Torres. And Dara, we must have passed week one because we're back. Hi. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be back. This is, I mean, so much fun to me to be able to work with you again and to be able to talk to these, you know, awesome Olympians and other athletes who will have on. So I'm really psyched about this. All right. Well, let's get right into it because we have one of the most phenomenal winter Olympians ever, especially in U.S. history, who is joining us here. And I tried to compress all of his accomplishments and we'll see how well I did. So he's a three-time Olympian, an eight-time medalist, a two-time gold medalist at the Olympics. He's a best-selling author. He's a businessman. He's a game show host, philanthropist. He's a motivational speaker. He's Apollo Ono joining us here today. Apollo, did I miss anything? <laughs> That's a nice entrance. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, I forgot something. You're a break dancer. I talked to one of your buddies, one of your teammates, Dan Weinstein, a couple of days ago. I didn't know this, but he said you were a very accomplished break dancer in your youth. <laughs> Dave said, Dan said that? That's yeah, hilarious. true or false? Maybe when I was 12, but I'm glad that I still resemble the 12-year-old in his eyes. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, we're, we're grateful to have you on. That's awesome. Yeah, Paula, we're psyched to have you on. And speaking of dancing, you know, believe it or not, I was asked to be on Dancing with the Stars after the 08 Olympics, mm -hmm. but I kind of had a bad knee. And then I also have no moves whatsoever. So there was no way that I wanted to be as competitive as I am, be voted off first. But I remember speaking to <laughs> Layla Ali uh, about yeah. her stint on it. And she said that the training was like super tough. So what is your thought? like about the dancing with the stars like do you feel like training for the olympics sort of helped you with that because you know just talking to people it's really really tough uh show to be on the training is hard because it's a foreign movement and the outfits are foreign and the environment is foreign and everything you're just not used to there's there, you know there's there's like a bit of acting associated but the actual physical training i mean it's hard but it's not olympic training you know, yeah, well, but it's true. hard. I mean, it's, so what people don't realize about the show is <clears throat> you're, you know, you're seven days a week for like approximately 10 weeks straight. Monday and Tuesday are the live shows. So you're on studio, you're on set. You get your dance that you're dancing to on Tuesday night. So you begin training Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which you pretty much have to perfect at least 80 to 90% the dance. You're mic'd up with your dance partner for eight, call it eight hours, maybe 12 hours a day. They just want to capture every single argument, movement, emotion. Um, and then on Sunday, you go back into the studio to show the camera crew what you're dancing so they know what the best angles to capture when you go live on the actual show. So as you progress throughout the show, this is the reason why it gets difficult is because 
I think on the last three or four weeks, you're doing like two, sometimes three, sometimes four dances a week. So you have like a day to learn a brand new dance and you're dancing with other partners and you know, it gets, uh, it tests, it tests your resilience mentally. You mentioned right? arguments. Were there arguments with you and Julianne or other people on the show? No, it, sounds, sounds smooth. it was just smooth, Patrick. <laughs> it was just easy. Uh, yeah, of course there was arguments, but I, I mean, you know, when I first danced with Julianne, she was only, I think she was actually 18 or 19 years old. Oh. And so she was, you know, she came on the show. She's full of energy. I think I was, I was 25 and she was just like, if you can imagine, I'm very coachable as, as an athlete, but for the most part, you have this 18 year old, like literally ordering you around for eight hours a day, every single day. Uh, it can wear on you. So we had arguments, yeah. natural. So I actually watched, there, there, there was evidently a couple of years ago, a, a poll that was out on the best ever Dancing with the Stars freestyle yeah. dance. And a ton of votes went to you and Julianne. So I watched it last night. And first off, the, the outfits were unbelievable. The, the choreography was great. You, to me, resembled kind of half Apollo Ono and half, half Ralph Macchio from uh, The Karate Kid with the, <laughs> the, the bandana you were wearing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, there was some breakdancing elements in that, was, which, yeah. again, went back to a little bit of your roots. It was. It was. It, the freestyle part was fun. I mean, that show, this is so crazy thinking about it. That was 2007 we were actually on that show. It doesn't feel like it's uh, 13 years ago. Yeah, and Julianne has gone on and, and become a superstar in entertainment, and uh, it's crazy. Could could you go out right now and uh, do the hook or a little six step? Or yeah, would, that, would, I, that, would I, that break your back or blow out a knee? <laughs> no, I think I remember most of the dances. I think I would need like probably like five minutes to to kind of re kickstart, but okay. I just don't know if I'm gonna fit into those outfits again with those like very <laughs> deep V necks. You know, those are basically vests. Right, Dara? I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, that's not a yeah. V-neck. If you yeah. see your belly button, how can that be a V-neck? <laughs> I, I remember I was at Oprah, and when I had declined, um, I was supposed to be paired with Max, and then they had paired him with another athlete, and he came to watch the Oprah show, and he was literally wearing a vest and just some jeans and then a chain, and that was it. And I was like, oh my gosh, if that's what he's wearing just to come to Oprah, what the heck is he going to be wearing on the show? So, um, yeah, I, 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 for one, am glad I didn't do it again. I know I would have been voted off first. And um, I don't mind the challenge, but I, I have no moves. So um, let's, let's move on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, one more question about this before we do move on. So in the Youth Olympic Games two years ago, Apollo, breakdancing was a gold medal sport. And I know in Paris in 2024, they put it on the table as maybe being an Olympic sport. You're one of our experts. Should it be? If, uh, <clears throat> so I don't know if you, yes, I think it should be. I, mean, I don't know how you judge breakdancing, right? But it's basically breakdancing has evolved from what I've seen because I was watching some YouTube videos like maybe a couple years ago. Have you ever seen the world championships of breakdancing? Not only not. did I not know that this existed, but it's literally like these guys are like gymnasts. I, I'm not kidding you. Like the stuff they do in the air is, is, it looks impossible. It looks like they're a part of Cirque du Soleil, but they have wires, but they don't have the wires connected to them. They're just flying through the air. And yeah, I think there, there's an interest. I mean, there's some sports that are in the games that have far less athletic uh, physicality associated. So I don't see why not. You can be a judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to be a judge. That'd be great. So Paula, what has life been like for you post Olympics? I mean, it's been you know, a few years, 2010 was your last Olympics. I know you've been, you know, you very kind, a few years. Huh? <laughs> You're very kind. It's been a couple of years, Apollo. 
years. Well, that's the way a I decade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what has life been for you at the Olympic Games? What have you been up to? Wow. So life, life has been, uh, it's, it's always a, a gift and an opportunity and a surprise. So I did retire 10 years ago. Um, I immediately hit the ground running and pursued entrepreneur kind of startup and um, business in Asia. I did not have any experience in any capacity in that realm. And that transition from athlete to civilian, so to speak, was very, and it still is, very challenging, right? Lots of lost identity, uh, a lot of reinvention, a lot of hard pivoting that had to have happened, that had to happen. And so I've, I've kind of come full, full circle. So I've explored many different various businesses um, and opportunities all throughout Asia, here in the U.S., and really recognize that what I this is more kind of in the recent past three years, what I really love and appreciate the most is connecting with people. And so I've kind of recalibrated my focus to spend more time here in the United States and and focus on how can I get people to really unlock their own inner potential and doing that in a way just allows me to, you know, really focus, I think on two things, one, helping people understand what they really have. And then two, um, how do we, how do we do something about this, this reinvention, this, this kind of uncertainty that really is, is encompassed with a lot of people? You know, you mentioned reinvention, and I think one of the toughest things for an athlete, uh, at least from what I've experienced, is you know, doing something your whole entire life, training for that one moment, that one race, or that one Olympic Games, or five Olympic Games, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, then you're, then you're done, and you retire. And then you're like, wow, what do I do now? So what advice do you give people when they're done with their career, and they sort of have to sort of reinvent themselves and, and sort of move on with life? I, yeah, I think the first part we have to identify is really understanding ourselves better. So we all have these kind of natural innate strengths that really propelled us throughout the sports that we were competing in or participating in. And those strengths are transferable across really any career path. When someone is looking at hiring an individual, they look for baseline level of knowledge. But for the most part, they want this person to be malleable, to have this kind of plasticity that they can really mold and, and, and are hungry to learn. They're easily coachable. They don't crumble in, in the face of hard work and and adversity. And that's what we have really kind of hard coded in our DNA through the conditioning of the many years. So that that's one part. The other part is taking bold, aggressive action. So we can plan, we can analyze, we can create dream boards, we can do all of that. And it all becomes nonsense unless you really put the first step in front of the other and really start to test the temperature of the water. And you don't know. You're going to I think it's very important for people and athletes really to recognize that this is this transition is going to be very challenging for some. For others, it's easier, but it's going to be very challenging. And that's a part of the process. But throughout that process, just like when you first started to try a new technique, new equipment, it takes time. And that time is a part of that journey. And so once we dive in with this bold, aggressive action towards saying, like, I know this is going to happen. There's going to be some pain involved. But, you know, and we talk a lot about this, about, you know, the growth mindset is, allowing yourself to really recognize that you will thrive in this moment. And at some point, it's, it's challenging to know when, that light switch will go on and say, hey, I, I got this. And then you start to get that small taste of confidence. And once you start to taste that confidence, that's when that momentum can start to build. But those are the two things, right? Recognizing what your true natural strengths are and then applying them towards the career paths that you're seeking 
it may be very difficult to replace the passion, intensity, and love that you have for sport. And so you have to recognize that. You have to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I may never find something that will drive me or inspire me the same way that sports did. And that's okay. But life moves on and you have to get from being in the passenger seat back into the driver's seat and really take back control of the decisions you want to make on a daily basis. So whenever I talk to someone who has either been struggling or is about to retire, the first thing I tell them is, Take it, you know, after you retire, take the beat, right? Allow that moment to kind of settle in, whether it's grieving, whether it's loss. I mean, that's what sometimes this feels like, right? This, this I call it the great divorce, where your your one true love basically tells you that they no longer want you anymore, and they have a younger suitor who's better genetically designed, more sponsors, better story, um, great, better longevity, whatever those things are. And you have to come to terms with that in a way that you can say, okay, I'm now going to pour out the cup that I thought was half full. I'm going to start anew and have that beginner's mind. So all these things, those three elements come into play in a way that I think will greatly benefit whoever's looking for that transition. And then also, I mean, whether you're an athlete or not, we will always have to reinvent ourselves. That is just a byproduct of how the world now works. I mean, with the influx of the advancements of technology with the kind of ever-changing atmosphere and the business climate, you're now, your prerequisite is your ability to stay on your toes. If you're sitting in a chair on your heels and you're a slow incumbent who doesn't want to move or adapt quickly, you are going to get left behind. It's like, it's like a swimmer who doesn't want to have, you know, like let's say there's a new technique or a new equipment that drastically improves your performance. And you're saying, I don't need that. I'm just going to kind of let everything happen. And then you go through a games recognizing that maybe you lost a hundredth or a tenth of a second during your race. And so having that, that mentality to say, I will focus on the process over the prize. And, you know, as, as Olympic athletes, it's challenging because we're always being extrinsically validated and motivated, right? Yes, you're good. That was excellent. Here's your championship medal. Move on to the next one. And when that's now removed and now you're in the world of either business or entrepreneurship and no one is telling you anything for years, <clears throat> you can start to feel very lost very quickly. So you have to set these routines that give you the strength and confidence to really perform your best work. And I think those are the three elements that, that really at least helped me the most. The seeds of success are basically planted by whatever somebody's foundation is, whether it's, you know, Dara's parents or Dara's, you know, coaches or mentors, uh, my parents, your parents, Apollo. Uh, so I want to kind of turn the conversation a little bit to your dad, because in all of the things that I've read, your dad, when you were you know, five, six years old, trying to figure out what, you know, where Apollo was going to go in life, what sports Apollo might be interested in, he seemed to see something special and greatness inside you before you did, which was really striking. And uh, you know, we all have challenges with our relationships with our, with our folks growing up. We rebel, we love, we distance, we come back and uh, you, you grow. So can you, can you speak to a little bit about the, the evolution of your relationship with your father, Yuki? Yeah. I mean, I, I was raised in a single parent household. My father came to this country with nothing more than one camera, two cameras around his neck. Didn't speak a word of English. He came straight from Japan as an immigrant and began his life. And so when I came into this world, my father took full custody of me, <clears throat> decided that he wanted to raise me. And he had very, very strict and, and tough love kind of um, systems that he would deploy for my growing phase. So when I say that, for example, 
you know, I would, let's say I was an inline skater, right? And, and throughout this process, an inline skater, because my dad used to work so much because he had to provide for us, so we had food, he would take me before he went to work, before I went to school, to these empty church parking lots and schools and basically put this miner's light on my helmet, you know, the little strap, and I would sure. skate around at like 4.30 in the morning. Um, he'd leave the car lights on while I go skate around. I mean, there's no training program. I was like, I don't know, I was like nine years old or something, right? 10 years old. And he just thought like, this is, this is the path, you know, you just work, you just work hard. Um, but I think that was the first, you know, I think him, the process of him instilling the confidence within me. And I, you know, I had a very challenging relationship with my dad when I was younger because I had so much energy. I was very just non-interested in, um, just really doing anything other than the fact that I wanted to just focus on kind of having fun. My dad wanted me to become something great. And he saw, like you said, he saw something in me that was much better than, or much bigger than I thought I saw for myself. So that was, that was an interesting process um, to see this evolution of our relationship grow. And, you know, he's become my best friend. He was my coach. He was my mentor. He was my teammate for many, many, many years. And that was an interesting, uh, interesting dichotomy between seeing my dad, um, you know, in what we were in our relationship when I was younger and then that blossoming and growing into something where he became a really true kind of confidence builder, a cornerstone, a confidant, all these things. Um, and he's always had the most kind of wise and philosophical ways of, of thinking about challenges and problems. So it, it was an evolution. Yeah. You know, Apollo, we all have the challenges of, you know, sort of having the mental aspect and the physical aspect to be the best that you can be. I mean, it's not all mental. It's not all um, physical. It's kind of both. And was there a switch that went off when you were training when you were younger? Um, you know, you went to the Olympic training center at 15 years old. And did something change for you from, from your mentality there when you were training as a kid to as you got older? Yeah, I think it definitely did. It went from, I think it went from two two kind of phases, right? Phase one was I had this raw talent. I was good at what I did, but no direction and no real concentration of where the energy was. So I was kind of just being spread out like this all over the place versus really, you know, being more streamlined and harnessing the power of that focus much later in my career. And when I was 15, <clears throat> probably one of the most influential things that had happened to me was the U.S. speed skating team had hired a sports psychologist and an assistant coach. And this was a young guy who had been studying at Colorado College. He was deeply, deeply motivated and focused on sports psychology. And he wanted to, you know, imp he wanted to just really introduce that concept to a lot of the team. Most of us were very resistant in the beginning. And eventually he saw that I had such an OCD kind of mind that, <clears throat> you know, when I would lose or when I would, and this actually began on the badminton court, believe it or not, like out of all <laughs> places, just like playing around before we would go lift weights, I would warm up and play badminton with this guy. And I would, you know, very competitive. So I would play against him. He was a tennis player. So naturally he was very good at racket sports. And, and there's, a, there's a reason why I'm telling you the story. And so we would play and I would lose, you know, I, I would serve, it would go right into the net. And he would, he would kind of say these small things to me, like, what was going through your mind in that moment, right? And I was like, what the hell? Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, like, like don't talk to me. You know, like, I was so <laughs> upset. And then, I, and then he started to tell me the reasons why he was asking these questions, because he was seeing patterns in which when I was starting to lose, instead of losing one point, I would lose four or five. And he's saying, you can mitigate the downside 
through the thoughts that you're having. And so we started to incorporate those thoughts on long runs when I was training um, through the, you know, the mental visualization and breath work that we worked on. And it was, for me personally, it was a huge, huge game changer. And I think that's when also something deeper in my psyche changed to where it went from this kind of raw competitive spirit and naivety to really understanding like, how do I become a better version of myself on the ice? And that's when this kind of, you know, like my career was like this, right? In terms of performance, it's very unpredictable. And that's when it started to smooth out and kind of, you know, look, look in the way that we all kind of dream to be more um, in terms of performance. So I work a lot in, in professional baseball at AAA right now with the Durham Bulls. And, you know, when scouts evaluate talent and potential big leaguers, whether they're everyday players, whether they're future all-stars or Hall of Famers, you know, there are five different tools that they take a look at in terms of breaking down that player's ability. In talking with you, you know, you, you've said many times that you didn't feel like you really had the perfect short track speed skating body, you really did, maybe didn't have the physical skills. Yet here we are 10 years after you've retired, eight Olympic medals, two golds, uh, a trailblazer in the sport. How did it happen if, if you look back and say, you know what, physically didn't really have all the elements that maybe some other skaters then or now had? I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that. So if you ask my teammates, they would, they would say like, oh no, he was a complete genetic like monster in the sport. Uh, but the reality is when we would do VO2 max tests or Wingate tests very early in the season, this was before I was really, you know, I had started to develop as an athlete. <clears throat> my numbers were nothing that were spectacular. It wasn't like I was in Lance Armstrong's levels or Bjorn Berg, you know, these, these very high elite naturally attuned athletes. And so I really had to work on it. And so a part of that process for me was just deep diving deeper into both nutrition, recovery, studying the sport obsessively, and really becoming immersed in both my understanding of competitors, their own natural human behavior uh, patterns, and then just really truly harnessing the power of the mind. And I believe that that was the major differentiating factor throughout my entire career was the fact that there was many teammates on my team who genetically and physically and technically were just better than I. And they would have a couple of weekends here and there where they actually would blow me out of the water, you know, so to speak. And, and I saw that they just did not have the level of consistency. And so their weakness became the strength of mine where I would look at this on a hour by hour daily basis. And every day, every hour of the day was a competition for me to create better recovery, to have better cool downs, to have a better warm up, to just be more intentional with every single workout and training. And I just felt like that compounded over time, over many, many years, which resulted in me having three or four or five or six more months of training by the time we went to an Olympic Games. You know, uh, you talk about the power of the mind and it is so true. Um, it sounds like you really sort of found your niche with, with being a little more mentally stronger than your teammates, even if they were having, you know, better workout sessions or a prior meet where they went faster. Um, I know that we have a ready room. I think you guys have one too, where you have to hang out about 20 minutes before you compete 
at the Olympic Games or World Championships. And I remember um, everyone was so scared and just like, they were like deer in headlights when you walk into this ready room. And it's kind of like an awful place to be because as you know, your other competitors are sitting there and all you want to do is beat them. But yet there they are, you know, in this room. And that's really the last place you want to be. And I, what I personally would do is I would walk in and be like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what'd you do today? Hey, you know, and sort of get to them that way by being nice and, and look at <laughs> that them. Would, oh, that would have, that would have just pissed me off so bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can imagine. That's, that's a very good strategy. Right? That's a very, very yeah, smart strategy. It's a nice route and stuff. So anyway, it's, it's really fascinating to hear, you know, how you sort of made that change and how it benefited you, you know, in your competing. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, I think that the game within the game is where everything really happens. And I think that you can be an amazing practice swimmer, you can be an amazing practice skater, but when you go to the, you know, to the heat box or the ready room, those five minutes or 10 minutes before your race sometimes make or break the athlete. Yeah. And those who have been able to master those, I mean, think of it, you spent hours and years of your life dedicated towards this one moment that lasts 10, 20, 30, 60 seconds, you know, and in that 10 minutes, you can win or lose the race in that particular moment. And I think that that goes, that game within the game is not talked about enough because I really believe that that is a huge part of sport that some, some athletes, and I, I know we spoke the other day, some athletes I think naturally do this and they naturally have an ability to turn the light switch on and off. They don't have to go through the sitting and meditating or visualization or all the kind of atypical academic sports psychology kind of routines. They just, they just do it. It's very simple. They, close, you know, they, they prepare, it's time to race, I'm going to crush this race, and they do it. But the, but the result is the same. And so that's what I just became really fascinated with kind of the neurochemistry, the neurobiology, and the neuroscience of the brain and how powerful it can be when you believe not only in yourself, but in your ability and this kind of unlimited potential that we have. And uh, it's, I don't know, I, just, I find it really fascinating, right? Even with, with The Last Dance and Michael Jordan, you can see his own kind of greatness and how he carried himself and the level of I call it personal expectation, right? Like there's a certain personal expectation that we all have for ourselves, whether that carries over into our careers or not. Like there's certain things that we say are completely unacceptable to others or unacceptable to ourselves, right? And when we operate in that realm, that starts to become tied to our identity. But why are other parts of what we do not also the same? And I think that's where we can really, really grow um, is, is just really leveling up and gearing up our personal expectations for ourselves. All right. Hey, last question for this segment. You brought up 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. So my question for you is when, you know, when you're 60, when you're 65 years old and you allow yourself to think about one race in your career, what race does your mind immediately go to? I mean, is it the Bradbury race where you didn't win the gold medal, but it was just so ridiculous in, in how it evolved at the end? Was yeah. it winning your first gold medal on your home ice? Was it something from the world championships? What's that one race that immediately your brain goes to? It's a great question, Patrick. Um, I do I'm, look. I, I I hope that I can remember all the races when I'm sixty. First and foremost, <laughs> uh, and I think the second part is I would say there's a there's a race in Torino at the 500 meters when I won gold, which was really really important to me. Um, I was not the best athlete at those games. I had been, I had pulled a hamstring, strained a hamstring, like 
two weeks before the games, uh, three weeks before the games, I had a very bad ankle sprain. Uh, like my ankle was like as big as, you know, a grapefruit. And I was, I was going into those games, I think with a lot of challenges and I was still able to kind of pull it off. And so that was, that to me was the big, it was interesting because I, I was at, the, it, it gives some backstory and I, and hopefully I can remember this and tell this to my grandkids, right. Is at those games, I remember after I had won my first medal, uh, it was actually a bronze and I was the reigning Olympic champion in that race. And in the, in the next race, I also won a medal, but the medal was not the color that I wanted, right? I, was, I wanted that gold. And now I was going into the 500 meters, which I had not been dominant in for, for many, many years, actually. I'd always been a 1,000 meter or a 1,500 meter skater. And so this was a sprint. I had the world's best on the line. And <clears throat> I just, I remember having this conversation with someone on my team who basically was telling me, hey, it's very rare in the sport of short track speed skating, Apollo, for an athlete to come out uh, and medal back-to-back games. That's amazing. And in my head, I'm just thinking, I was like, this guy already gave up. He basically is like just closing the book on me. And I just remember saying to myself, like, this is BS, man. Like, I don't, the game is not over yet. I still have another race, regardless of whether I'm supposed to or have the natural strength for this. And because, I just believe just because of, because everything had happened and it was a perfect race and I really stuck true to my belief system in that moment that it worked out in the end. Now, you know, if it didn't, I don't know what my mentality would be, but it did. So that was just really important that I, I felt like people had kind of given up on the chance of me winning gold and I was able to prove it wrong. So that was very, mm, I think, exhilarating. And hopefully I can tell that story to my kids. I'm sure you can. If, if not, just send them the link to our YouTube channel and they can just play this back. Right? <laughs> yeah. Great, I mean, great stories. We could, we could spend another hour with you. Uh, thank you for divulging so much. Hang with us because we're going to take a quick break and we have a special guest for you, Apollo, uh, when we come back on Hang With Champions. Back on Hanging with Champions, Patrick Kinas, Dara Torres, Olympic legend, Apollo Ono. And we're ready now to break open a brand new segment of the show, and it's called My Biggest Fan. And what we will do is on social media, through our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to right now, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we'll be posting who our future Olympic guests are. And if you're a big fan of these Olympians who are beginning, going to be coming onto our show, you hop us a line. I'd like to come on and We'll zoom you in and you have an opportunity to kind of hang with us and hang with them and ask a couple of questions. And the first special guest we have to participate is Serena Sheen. She's from Wellesley, Massachusetts. She is 11 years old. Hi, Serena. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. Good. So the reason you're here, so Serena is actually a budding short track star. By the way, Wilma Boomstra will be watching this show. She says an early hello to you, the uh, head coach of Team USA for short track. Awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Serena, and why you're here today. Um, so I'm here today because I'm a big fan and um, I am a sixth grader. I go to Wellesley Middle School is kind of a boring name, but that's what they came up with. And, <laughs> yeah. So you've been skating for how long? Six, or no, not six years. I've been skating since I was six, but I've been skating, I think, for like four years now. And competitively in events, do you yeah. travel and how well have you done? How many trophies do you have? Um, so in short track, they do medals, um, but they started like trying to do trophies. It's kind of funny because they're like different sizes and stuff, but it's really fun. Um, I'm I'm a sprinter, so 
I've always, I have a good start and I always have trouble. Like I'm very good at long distance in terms of like strategy, but I never have endurance. So yeah. So do you want to ask Apollo about endurance? <laughs> sure. So I guess I would say, um, do you have any like tips for someone that is like, is good at strategy, but doesn't have the endurance? Absolutely. It's really, and, and that's a great question. So when you train your endurance, sometimes your sprint will suffer. And because it sounds like your sprint is your natural strength, never lose that because that's what makes you, you. So the one thing that you can do is you can increase your natural speed. So let's say you're skating, you know, 10.5 second laps, 11 second laps. Let's just use that as a metric and a marker. If your speed is now 9.5 second laps, that 10.5 or that 11 second lap is going to feel a lot easier. So just by naturally skating faster and increasing the intensity and the duration in which you skate at those higher speeds, your endurance is going to get better. And then from a strategic perspective, because you are naturally a sprinter, I would say it's very important for you to not expend any extra energy early on in those longer races. So you want to draft, you want to use the other skater in front of you to do the work for you. And then when it's your time to attack, then you turn on the afterburners. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Apollo, what do you remember about skating when you were 11 years old in terms of you know, what you knew, your technique, strategy, and uh, kind of competitive fire at that stage? I Were you still a not, killer then? <laughs> I did not know much about the sport at 11. Uh, but, I, but one thing I did do quite well was I was very good in, in, in kind of all sports. I was very good at emulating what I saw. So I would watch a lot of other athletes and I would kind of imagine myself skating with the same type of technique and lean and pivoting as they would. And that seemed to really help excel and accelerate my, my process of just learning throughout the sport. I loved competing. I used to get really, really nervous before race. I, I could still remember like in my stomach. Do you ever get that, Srita? Like you just, yeah. oh, it's like almost so much anxiety. And yeah. so the one thing that really helped me is to just kind of breathe calmly. And also because you're a sprinter, you want to keep your heart rate lower before the race. You don't want to get too kind of fired up because, you know, if you're starting the race at a very high, your engine's revving very high, you're going to get tired faster. So it was very important for me to, be very intense before the competition, but also be calm at the same time. So Serena and Apollo, you both obviously have done competitions. Um, what is your favorite part about competing? I know what mine is for swimming, but Serena, what is yours? And Apollo, what is yours? I guess I'm going first. Um, I guess for me, when I like go like the day or two leading up to it, um, I always get super, super tense and nervous. I remember... For I think everyone in my family, the drive there is just torture. And then when you <laughs> actually get there, and like, um, because I've traveled around the country quite a bit, um, I have a lot of friends, and my friends are always very good at calming me down. But I would say my favorite part is probably after the race. <laughs> actually, it depends. If I, if I feel very, like, if I'm proud of myself, then that's the best part. But if I'm mad at myself because I messed up pretty badly, mm -hmm. I guess I would say the favorite part is seeing my friends because they're always very really, like supportive and stuff. So it's very nice. That's awesome. 
Uh, I think those are great answers. My favorite part would have to be at, during the competition itself. It seems like time slows down, that nothing else exists um, outside of this small little bubble. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's mechanical, but it's fluid. There's an art to the warm up, the cool down, a lot of in, like a lot of internal conversations with yourself kind of pre, during and after. I find that to be the most interesting uh, and the most, I don't know, for me, the most memorable was in the competition time. And, and look, I, I loved traveling overseas with my teammates. That was always the most fun. I wish we had cameras on us back then because it was a real reality show. <laughs> I mean, just the pure, sheer ridiculousness that would happen on planes, in hotels. It was, it was a full-on game show meets like the real world, like 24-7. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So Apollo, so, so Serena brought up something that I think you can shed a lot of light and maybe help not only Serena, but all of the other young skaters too. She brought up like dealing with failure. If she messed up, had a bad race, you're, you're 11, you're 12, you're 13 years of age. And Apollo, you like to break down the mind like no other athlete that I've come across. So what advice, what suggestions would you have for Serena and all of the other young kids trying to navigate through a sport that they clearly love? when things don't necessarily break perfectly for them. Yeah, I, I, think, it, I think it's great, Serena, that you've got friends, number one, that will support you regardless of your outcome, right? We always want to win every race. We always want to do our best. But the reality is that sport gives us a really amazing opportunity to grow, to grow both when we win and when we don't. And so the one thing to realize is, Life and sport will always give you opportunities and sometimes they knock you down. But the most important lesson of all is how you get back up and collect yourself and then keep going. That's a very powerful tool. And so I'm sure your coaches have told you if you get back up, you know, if, if, you, if you fall down, get back up and finish the race, right? And the same thing can happen when you don't fall down, but you don't get the place that you'd like to have finished in. And you go back and you look at what happened. Yeah, you recognize that this is a part of the process. And you just say, hey, I can't win every single race I would like to, but what can I do better for the next time around? How can I improve and remind myself? And so when you create these like little small mini games, that's what the beauty of the sport is. It gives you a chance to improve every step of the way. Whether you win or you lose, you're still winning in some way, but it all depends on how you look at it. Apollo, for me personally, I always set goals and I try to teach young kids how important goal setting is. Would you say that is important for someone like Serena? I think it's a huge important. You should always have little small targets, right? Whether they're weekly, whether they're monthly, whether they're yearly. And you always revisit those because those are reminders about why you're doing what you're doing, why you're going through the hard work. Uh, and that gives you something to always look forward to. So we, we all operate very well when we have these targets and these goals. It's a very good point there. Very, very important to remain focused. Yeah, and as Serena, hey, as we let you go, we want to give you a shout out to you and your, your teammates at the Bay State Speed Skating Club, right? And you and we, we talk, <laughs> it's a quiet, it's quite a shout out I've ever heard. And yeah. you, uh, I also read, so before we let you go, Serena, you said that your coach actually skated in the Olympic trials, right? What's your coach's name? Jarabelle. Apollo, does that ring a bell? What, Jared Bell, what's the last name? Zutanko. Yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a pretty good instruction, right? Yep. <laughs>
All right. Hey, Serena, thank you for zooming in and being on my biggest fan today. Good luck to you in, in your next season when it kicks off later on this fall. Okay. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye. Good luck. Bye. Good luck, Serena. Well, what a cool segment. If you want to have your kid get involved in my biggest fan or any of the other rotating elements that we're going to have here on Hangwood Champions, again, head to all of our social media, YouTube channel. You can subscribe there, watch the entire show, a lot of exclusive content, uh, kind of extra footage on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and you can find us at Hanging with Champions. So as we wrap up with our esteemed panel, our uh, revered guest, Apollo Ono. First off, Apollo, thanks so much for your time. And I guess a, a couple of last questions that I have for you is, you know, what watching you skate on the ice and watching some of the just unbridled, raw passion and fun, it's different now when you're in a business mode and when you're you know, when we're all adults and we're growing up, we're not really allowing ourselves a chance to go out and be kids. What, what do you do now that allows your inner child to be released? Oh, what do I do now? Uh, well, I'm still very active. Um, and if you ask my fiance about my inner child, she would say that she's living with a 15 year old man. Um, Good. So I, I keep it, I keep it fun. You know, I think life is, man, I think I just believe guys that life is such a gift and it is, we're thrown curveballs and challenges and it's really all about how you can, you know, react to them. And life is, is challenging and it's difficult and it's hard, but it also can be really, really amazing and beautiful and inspirational. And so that choice is up to you. And so I, I you know, I, that's how I keep it fun. I just, I keep it fun. I keep it fresh, no matter how light it is or how dark at times it can be. Um, there's always just, we only have one of these things and that thing is life. So we might as well live it in the best way we can. So Apollo, I love your philosophy and the advice you've given about reinvention. I mean, it's not only going to help athletes, it will help just everyday people who are going through different situations. Um, and I know you're also doing a podcast. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and what you hope to um, achieve by doing this pro podcast? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's, look, there's, there's millions of podcasts now available. I've been talking about doing a podcast since 2016. Finally, I've got, you know, I've got the setup, I've got these lights. Um, now there's a virtual setting that everyone is in of remote work really kind of is forcing me to say, Hey, let's, let's actually accomplish this thing. My goal is really just to explore two things. One, my own personal curiosities around individuals, and people, their stories, their struggles, how they face and deal with both failure and winning. Um, how do they stay motivated either during these times or in business and in life? And so I just believe that there's so many incredibly powerful people out there who've got just really interesting stories that we don't hear about. And it doesn't mean that because they are a celebrity or a superstar athlete or have accolades that they don't have incredible lessons for us all. And so that's my dream is to kind of satisfy my own curiosities around the brain and human behavior and how the mind, how their mind works. Um, and then also just how do we can create, I guess, little, you know, deconstruction of what that mind is and how do we learn from these individuals and apply it to our own life so we can live ultimately a happier and more fulfilled life. That's my ultimate goal is, hopefully provide a guide for individuals who come on the show and just listen about some of the things that they actually truly struggle with because those are real and those are emotional and they're human. And we all have to hear about these things, right? Sometimes in our own head, no one else has the same problems as us because our problems are the biggest and they're the most painful, which is true because you live your own experience. But 
I think the more that we can share and learn, uh, the better that we can kind of set ourselves up to make better decisions, surround ourselves with better people, push ourselves and to grow. And that's, that's my dream is to help uh, provide positive impact to people. My last question for both of you, Dara and Apollo. Uh, Apollo, what I did read was that swimming was the first sport you ever tried as a young kid. That's right. That's so right. Dara, if you put short track blades on your feet, how would that go? And Apollo, how would a career in swimming have looked for you had you followed it through? So um, my <laughs> knees would be in and my ankles would be out probably uh, with short track skates. So I have roller skates. And when I was a young kid, I wanted to be a roller skater in the Olympics, even though there was no such thing as that. So that was kind of like my goal, but there's no way. I mean, I, I can't, those skates seem so long and just for me, so unstable, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I'll stick to the water. <laughs> uh, I, 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 look, I, I was, became a swimmer when I was you know, 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. It was very hard. My career as a swimmer would have been very short. <laughs> <laughs> very short. I mean, I'm talking less than a sprinter. I'm talking short as in, <laughs> Paul, I think you should just be a timer. That'd be maybe a better <laughs> use of your time. <laughs> People don't realize, but you know, the, the US, USA swimming, and I only know this because of my recent kind of exposure with, with swimming again. So in 2014, I did an Ironman uh, competition in Kona, Hawaii. And along that process, I was training here in Los Angeles and I was going to UCLA and using their outdoor pool. And there was like two or three athletes who were on the UCLA swim team who were there and they would swim alongside of me. And they were, I remember these, you know, they were just literally doing technical drills and I was just blown away at how fast that they, sw it was unbelievable to me. So USA Swimming has just, I mean, I, I'm a strong believer that success breeds success. And that's why the US is so strong. We just, the level of expectation for training and for, for speed is, is just a different level than I think, you know, even probably most of the world. But I just always remember like being next to this person, just thinking like, literally like I would be sprinting and this person, he's, he is just working on technique. And it just looks like he, it looks like the, he has like a rocket engine strapped to his back. It's just, um, it was just so unbelievable. Well, you know, um, it's, it's the same thing watching you. Like we watch you on the short track and you make it look so easy um, that, you know, it, sport is really about technique. And you see yeah. someone like a Michael Phelps who's tall and lanky and, you know, he's not the strongest guy out there, but boy, he has the best technique and catches the water so well that it propels him forward and just makes him that much better than everyone else. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's, I, I love watching just athletes in motion. There's like, to me, that's ultimate art, right? If I got to have something like in terms of art on my wall, I would love to have, like, I would love to have, like, I would love to have like a graphic of a, of a swimmer that moves, right? So basically a digital image that moves. I just think it's, there's something really powerful about that. Anyway. Well, hey, I tell you what, Apollo, we, we cannot thank you enough for spending so much time with us today. Full disclosure, you and I met a couple of years ago in Pyeongchang, I'm not sure you knew really who I was or what I was doing in some of these TV production meetings when I wasn't with uh, the TV set of NBC, but so uh, <laughs> proud to call you a friend now over these last couple of years. And I know Serena and all the kids out there watching and all the fans really enjoyed it. Happy belated birthday to you. Congratulations on the <laughs> engagements and uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, in Beijing, if not sooner. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Thank all right. You. That's Apollo Onodero. Not a bad second show, eh?
No, it was awesome. I mean, he just, like I said, his philosophy mm, and the things he talks about, so many people can relate to whether you're in sports or not, even in sports, you know? So he, he really gave some, some great things to think about. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Hanging with Champions. Our great thanks to Apollo Ono, Serena Sheen on My Biggest Fan, and my co-host, Dara Torres. And a reminder, you can find us everywhere on social media. Go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can also find extra clips, exclusive videos on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. And also you can listen to the entire podcast in audio form on Spotify, on Google, iTunes, and Apple. So that's going to wrap things up for all of us here at Hangout Champions. We'll see you next time.